At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, April 5th, 2023 edition, and we are now on to the second quarter. And there's always uh, market news that is relevant to your strategy, and that's what we are to help you dissect and help you implement into your, your process. And your process needs to be more than watching headlines and reacting to your emotions. It's really about looking at the data, looking at what's happening on the ground, and adjusting accordingly. So I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you to answer your finance and investment questions and give you my straight and unbiased answers. No hidden agenda. And we all know that the investing situation has shifted, and that means your mindset has to shift. And sometimes it, it's this is a that's why we do the show every day because you really need to you need to have it in front of you uh, to counter your emotions. We're emotional beings. It's very easy for us to fall prey to chasing returns and chasing headlines and because those things are what brings out emotions that's what headline writers are meant to do so they want to do right they want to bring out emotions so that you continue to read but successful investing is weeding out as much emotion as you possibly can And applying the history of successful investing, the habits of successful investing, consistently. It's not about making one decision. You're not going to listen to the show, hear one call, and that's going to be the one piece that puts everything in place and suddenly you're going to achieve your own version of financial freedom. No, it's about consistently, consistency, excuse me. And so you can call our toll-free anytime line at 888-99-CHART and get your question in. And, and that's really how you drive the show. This show is about you. The show is about your voice and your concerns and your questions, the things that are on your mind. So I encourage you to reach out 24-7-365 to that number. Or if you're listening during our live stream program for 45 Pacific Time, you can call and answer your ask, excuse me, ask your question live. Now, my focus point looks in the story behind this headline. A major bank CEO said the banking crisis is not over. We're going to dig into what Jamie Dimon says, basically the, the titan of 
global banking, really. And he has some interesting thoughts in the latest shareholder letter to JP Morgan shareholders. Also, time permitting, I want to dig into the apartment market, what's happening in there, in that, in that space. And then also, a lot of people think that if migration happens in a particular region, that that's going to be higher prices for real estate. We're going to dig into some more data to say that's not necessarily the case. It's supply and demand. This is a great lesson because it really ties into what I talked about, uh, I would say about a month ago, I, I dug into some data on how so many people love to chase the demand story. Going back to the headlines thing. And it's not about just the headlines. It's not about just demand. It's supply as well. And people under underappreciate the effect supply can have, either positively or negatively, on a particular asset. And then lastly, lithium prices are down. What does that mean for the electric car market in general? So those things are, on, are what's on my mind. And... All of that is somewhat irrelevant because it's really about what's on your mind. And that's why we're going to get to a voice bank question as well, uh, one on retirement plans, the other on Coinbase. And I have an iTunes review question as well. So I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, your live calls at 888 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a pretty uh, mixed day, really. Growth definitely underperformed. Large cap growth uh, down about 1%. Mid cap growth about 1.7. Large cap value up about half a percent. Mid cap value up about 0.3%. So while the first quarter was marked by kind of a, a snapback rally in growth stocks versus value, you started the second quarter the opposite, where value starting to outperform, especially on the back of that OPEC supply cut bringing uh, the energy stocks uh, higher. Remember, you always have these counter-trend rallies and you don't want to be shaken out of uh, what is uh, likely a long-term trend. So today was uh, a down day for sure, uh, dragged down by the growth side of the market. Uh, gold was roughly flat and it was uh, it was after a big move yesterday. Yesterday was a big move in gold prices to to, to the highest level since twenty twenty one, and I think it's going to continue to go higher. So uh, that's something to to be on uh, the lookout for. Is that market is strong, and after the recent pullback, uh, I don't think a lot of people are on board to that train quite yet. Now let's go to our first listener question now. Hello, Steve or Justin. I'd like your opinion today about Canadian Natural Resources, ticker symbol CNQ, Imperial Oil, ticker symbol IMO, and Oventive, ticker symbol OVV. Recent news states that OPEC plans on cutting oil production again, and I'm wondering if these are well-run companies that remain among the most profitable in the energy sector. Thank you, and I'll be listening on the podcast. All right, looking at three oil names. One is Canadian Natural Resources, CNQ. That is one of the best, better run Canadian oil companies. So uh, it's in our it's in our top three of the Canadian players. So we like that one uh, overall. Sixty five billion dollar market cap, so well diversified, which is good. Nice four and a half percent dividend yield. 
but that is going to be very different than like an Oventive, which Oventive is an independent EMP uh, company that uh, operates in the Permian Basin, Eagle Ford uh, shale region. So it's a shale producer, but it's mainly focused on natural gas. It's roughly actually roughly split uh, between uh, oil and natural gas. Uh, also a good company. Nothing wrong with that, but it's uh, it's going to be a little more tied to natural gas than uh, than the uh, Canadian Natural Resources CNQ. Imperial Oil is Canada's largest integrated oil company, and it's a bit more diversified. It has upstream operations, petroleum refining operations, and uh, it also uh, produces oil. Right, so it's going to be a bit more diversified. Thirty-one billion dollar market cap. So what you're talking about here are three different types of names within the oil patch. And it depends on what you want exposure to. Do you want exposure to natural gas? Well, Oventive is your play. Do you want something that is diversified up and downstream? Meaning, uh, you know, it's gonna be probably less volatile overall because even if oil prices fluctuate, there are parts of the business like the refining business with uh, Imperial that can maintain its margins and maintain its profits. So it's going to have a little bit more consistency uh, to its profitability. Or do you want something that has really high upside, really high exposure to high oil prices? Because typically Canadian assets, they're, ex they're expensive to, to produce oil. And think of oil sands, for example, because they tend to be in colder climates and just more difficult to get out of the ground. And so if oil prices stay elevated, then Canadian natural resources is going to really benefit. But it's, if they fall, right, it's not going to, uh, it's going to be pretty volatile. Let's just say that. Um, I like all three. They all have their own merits to them. They're all, like you said, profitable, fairly well run. Uh, it's just a matter of what do you want? What do you want exposure to? And that's how you have to think about it. And and remember, these are idiosyncrasies of the oil patch, but there are those idiosyncrasies within sectors as well. You know, you go to retail, are you talking about a low-cost producer? Are you talking about a premium producer? Are you talking a company that has just large scale like a Walmart, right? Or uh, maybe they're a high-end department store, very different businesses, and they have different uh different correlations to uh, the economy, for example. So what I broke down here with those three companies is not unique to the oil patch. It's something you have to understand when you're digging into different uh, sectors, they're all going to have those idiosyncrasies that you need to account for. Now we're going to do a quick break and you can call anytime with a question to our Anytime Voice Bank, which is always 888-99 chart, or you can call our live stream right now. Once again, same number, 888-99 chart. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads surpassing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download 
and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today is in regards to the shareholder letter from Jamie Dimon. And he says, quote, as I write this letter, the current crisis is not over yet, referring to the banking crisis. And even when it is behind us, there will be repercussions from it for years to come. He says, but importantly, recent events are nothing like what occurred during the 2008 global financial crisis. And I think that's, that's certainly true. And uh, I agree with all that, right? It's not 08. It's, uh, it's not a credit crisis. It's more a uh, duration mismatch crisis. Uh, but that does not mean that there aren't ramifications from a policy perspective and regulatory perspective. Uh, you know, they, they stress test banks, but they didn't really, they don't really focus on duration risk. They've uh, mainly only focused on credit risk and they force banks into these low risk, low yielding securities like treasuries. And obviously the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and then uh, the purchase of Credit Suisse by UBS, all that has kind of thrown a wrench into the credit creation process. And that's very important. I don't want to underestimate that. Now, it's still yet to be seen how much of an effect it'll have, but it's going to have an effect. And the reason why it's so important is because most people don't understand that money is mainly created by banks, not the central bank, not the Fed. In a fractional reserve banking system, money is created by banks by lending. And so when you have this type of crisis, banks are going to pull back, both large and small. And obviously, the confidence, and he alludes to this in the letter, that the confidence in losing confidence in small banks uh, doesn't help the confidence in large banks. And he sees that, you know, these losses were kind of hiding in plain sight, but he sees the deposit base, the uh, flighty deposit base of SVB as a real kind of unknown variable that most people weren't looking at. And he said that regulation uh, should be less academic, more collaborative. And that's uh, the other thing to hear is like, you really have to, it's, it's all about the banks acting properly and effectively and having good risk controls. And regulation can help with that. But at the end of the day, it's up to good management to be smart about what they're doing. He does call for more uh, climate regulation uh, and AI um, regulation to make sure that it doesn't get out of control as well. So I thought that was an interesting little uh, tidbit. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. 
Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. I uh, have a question for you about some retirement planning as it relates to IRAs or traditional or Roth versus buying and holding stocks that are dividend-paying. I am not looking to rely on the principle of my principle for retirement, just the dividend income. And my thought is that if I buy good quality companies for the long run and live off the dividend income and keep them in a taxable account instead of an IRA account, then those stocks will step up in basis when I pass and they're passed on to my beneficiaries. Uh, Versus if I put them in an IRA, that basis will not step up. So it would be a traditional IRA versus a taxable portfolio. I'm not able to contribute to a Roth IRA because of my income. Appreciate the answer on the program. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's definitely something to uh, definitely a strategy to consider if you are willing and able to hold those stocks for the long term. Ideally, what you're going to want to focus on the companies that grow their dividends over time and have a business that is consistent and stable, not prone to disruption. Uh, you know, in the tech space, for example, those often get uh, disrupted in, in, in various ways. And a lot of them don't pay dividends. So you, you want to focus on ones that have a long track record of increasing the dividends. And that is definitely an upside. I think a taxable account has its own, uh, they're, they're underappreciated. Let's just say that. And because you can do tax loss selling, you can do what you're talking about, which is hold them very long term and have that stepped up basis. Um, but obviously you have to pick it right. Uh, you, you, and sometimes you might not, but then you could maybe take a loss on that in a taxable account. So your thinking generally is, is definitely correct. Uh, but no, there's no guarantee that any of the names that you pick or all the names that you're going to pick are going to turn out to be, you know, giant winners between now and, and your passing. Um, but if you do the work, uh, I think the, you, you have a good chance of having a good chunk of them um, really hit, you know, hit the hit hit out of the park with a grand slam. And, uh, and that's all you need is just a handful of those. All right. But, uh, I like that you're bringing that topic to attention because, uh, they're very underappreciated. And so many people focus on 401ks and IRAs and Roth IRAs and deferring taxes, but, uh, you know, having a taxable account has its own uh, upside, uh, as well. Now, when people take the time to leave an invest talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. The Puma 51 says, my friend moved all his money from his regular bank to this bank for high yield savings. I think he gets 5%. With all the bank failures, I was just wondering how you feel about uh, this. Oh, Lending Club. Oh, LC. There we go. Um, yeah, this is, not a, uh, this is not a bank. Okay. Understand that. Lending Club is not a bank. You are not guaranteed. This is an online marketplace where borrowers and investors engage in transactions for various loans. If you put your money on on the Lending Club, you aren't guaranteed that rate. 
Okay. Not FDIC, not FDIC insured. You are taking risks here. And you can just see with the variability in Lending Club's business, it's not great. It's not a place you're getting safe returns. So I think you're picking up pennies in front of a steamroller just for an extra, what, 100 basis points, 150 basis points above what you can get from an FDIC-insured high-yield savings account? Uh-uh. Not worth it at all. Uh, pass on the lending club. Definitely. All right. Thanks for the review. Now let's talk about the apartment market. And what's interesting here is that investors purchased $14 billion of apartment buildings in the first quarter of 2023. And you say $14 billion, that sounds like a lot. But that represents a 74% decline in sales from the same quarter, quarter a year ago. And it would be the largest annual sales decline for any quarter going back to, set, going back to the first quarter of 2009 when it dropped 77%. And in and of itself, it's the lowest single quarter for any quarter since 2012. And this is a giant drop from record transactions as of late 2021, when the multifamily sector was the top performing in the commercial real estate market. People were buying up apartments in a lot of the Sunbelt cities like Dallas, Phoenix, Tampa Bay, where rents are rising 20%, and housing was largely unregulated. But the cost of financing is going up, and now rents are roughly flat and declining in many major metropolitan areas. And because of the banking crisis, especially those small regional banks, they have stopped lending. They're the second biggest originator of mortgage-backed securities supporting the, the apartment market. And so that's what you're seeing here. And then those that have these properties, they don't want to sell at, at losses. So they're just holding on. And so multi, prices for multifamily buildings dropped 8.7% in February compared to the same month a year ago. And overall from the high, they're down about 20%. So real estate, it's, it's like I've said before, interest rate sensitive parts of the economy are not going to do very well going forward. We're in a rising interest rate environment. This is very new and you need to get used to it. Okay. I'm Justin Klein, ready to, ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay. Why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. 
You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, this is Eric calling from Los Angeles. I'm a longtime listener and love the show. I had a question about ticker symbol COIN, C O I N, Coinbase Global Inc. I don't have any crypto, and I was wondering if this is a good stock in order to get a position in cryptocurrency without actually investing in a, a single crypto coin. And so I was wondering what you thought about a good entry point. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. I don't think there is a good entry point. I think that the government is going to put Coinbase out of business. They've already they received the Wells notice. Uh, they're really Wells notice is basically, hey, the SEC is investigating your conduct, and um, basically, there's parts of your business that uh, you are either fraudulent or are illegal, and you need to uh, cease and desist what you're doing. Uh, and that's the gist of it. So Coinbase is not a good investment. And so if you want exposure to crypto, just go buy go buy uh, go buy a Bitcoin. Put in a cold wallet, don't leave it on an exchange, and that's it. 99.9% .9 of all these other crypto alternative crypto assets are worthless. And it's clear that the government wants to regulate all of this pretty much out of existence you know the vast majority it should short vast majority of it should be out of existence it's pump and dump schemes and frauds the vast 99 percent of it and so what do you want to get exposure to a an exchange that trades these frauds and and these pump and dump schemes that allows these things to prolif proliferate no. It's great short. Would not own this. Once again, if you want exposure to crypto, go buy some Bitcoin, put it in a cold storage wallet. Now let's play two in a row from 888.99 chart. Hi, Justin or Steve. I'm calling about WEC Energy Group, ticker symbol WEC. I wanted to get your thoughts on this particular company, the fundamentals and technical uh, analysis as well, and if uh, at what price point you would consider adding it to your portfolio. I'll be listening to your response on the podcast. Thank you. 
All right. This is WEC Energy Group, and it's an electric and gas utility serving customers in Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. It also owns a 60% stake in American Transmission Company. Let's see. 36% is gas distribution, 49% electricity distribution, 10% electric transmission, and 5% unre unregulated renewable generation. So pretty low on that renewable side. Historically, it is uh, a pretty pretty well-run utility. Uh, it's actually has much higher average return on equity than the utility sector as a whole. On average, it's about 12% return on equity, which is very good. So that's the positive here. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. If you want utility exposure, 3.2% yield. So it's not crazy high, but it's solid and consistent. Revenue growth is, is solid. You're obviously getting, uh, some, some migration to those areas. So I, I, I'm going to give this one a, a thumbs up. Now it has rallied here from 86 to 98 over the past month, uh, as the utility sector has gotten a bit of strength. But it tends to trade in a uh, trading range. So I'd like to buy it below 90 again. And that's when I would probably try to pick up WEC, WC Energy Group. And, you know, the utility sector is interesting um, in, in this market where interest rates are coming down. Remember, it's a bond proxy. And that's why uh, you're seeing utilities rally because what's happening? Interest rates are falling, bonds are rising. These are things, these are correlations you have to understand within the markets and why utilities might be rallying right now, even though the market uh, had a couple of down days, All right? Now let's pivot over to the real estate market and talk about migration. And this is a great example. This is some great data on what does migration mean to real estate prices? Now, last year, people were flooding into places like Texas, Florida, and Tennessee. And based on region, the South had a ton of people moving there. 1.3 million net people or net migration flow into, 20, into uh, the South last year. And that beat the record. The previous record was 907,000 back in 2005. The West, these are states like Utah, Arizona, Washington, California, net zero in terms of migration. The Midwest lost about 28,000 people. And the big loser was actually the Northeast, lost about 246,000 people. Now these regions were dragged down by mainly three states and all high tax states. New York lost 222,000 people. Illinois lost 110,000 people. And here in California, we lost 218,000 people. Now, a lot of people will say, well, housing prices are going to go up in those areas that people are moving into and down in the areas that people are moving out of. But what's interesting is the data doesn't back that up. And the reason is, is because of new homes and permits by home builders. The counties with the highest migration over the last 23 years from 2000 to 2022 do not show substantially higher home price growth than the counties with migration losses. That's what the data is saying. So once again, 
you're a lot of people focus too much on demand and not enough on supply. Builders adapt and they see this, these migration trends and they go where the people are. And so structural deficits within a region don't really change over time that much. The migration surplus over building permits in places like Austin has been pretty consistent over the past 30 years, even though you've had this large influx of people. Once again, Austin was number seven in terms of total migration last year, adding 47,000 people. But builders built 43,000 homes. Usually two people move into a home, right? So that's too many units. And that's one reason why you see excess inventory in Austin. Prices are down 15% in the last 10 months. Inventory is up 300% because home builders build too much in that particular region. And this is not uncommon to where big migration actually turns into oversupply of homes because what happens is people move in, prices go up, and then builders follow and they see prices going up, they see that migration, and they try to, it takes a while to build homes get the permits and, and everything done. And then that prices locals out of the market and then, then they leave just in time for the home builders to finish their projects. That happened in Phoenix during the housing boom. And that's happening right now as well. Also in places like Boise, Idaho, that had a big influx of people into that region. And then suddenly that migration has been cut in half as of late. And last year was the lowest Boise uh, is recorded in migration since 2016. Now, Dallas was the number one migration market last year, adding 130,000 people. But they're prone to these migration cliffs. And guess what? Dallas is also in trouble as well because of home builders moving in. Now, in and of itself, migration is not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. It's good for a housing market in general. But there's two sides of the coin. And if it's too strong, that's actually can destabilize the market as a whole. So what you actually want to find are, if, if you're trying to invest or something, or you're trying to think about what where housing prices are going to go up in a particular region, you want ones that have consistent not flighty migration trends, and that aren't necessarily particularly high, right? And, and that's not going to attract these massive amount of home builders to go in there and just build, build, build. And these are places like Augusta, Richmond County in Georgia, Bowling Green, Kentucky, Huntsville, Alabama, Warner Robins, Georgia, Midland, Texas, Columbia, South Carolina, these are areas that long-term, you know, they have not super high migration, but consistent. Now, where the biggest metro markets, the biggest migration last year? Well, Texas had four of them, Dallas, Austin, Houston, and San Antonio. Florida had three, Tampa, Orlando, Northport, and Sarasota. And then Arizona, Georgia, and North Carolina each had one as well. But once again, that's not the end of the story. 
And it's a lesson that the headlines and, you know, you, you just focusing on demand is not going to get you the profits that you want in any parts of the market, any asset class. It's about supply as well. It's balancing both. And that's just economics 101. It's the first thing I learned in economics in college. There's another iTunes review question. Nick from Brooklyn says, I recently sold a property. I'm looking to invest in a large chunk of my returns in a single ETF. Any recommendations? Does this strategy seem sound or would more incremental entry into the market make more sense? Well, first off, I don't know your risk tolerance levels. I don't know your goals. So I can't recommend it. You know, it's just, you're not a client. I don't, I don't know who you are exactly. So I can't say, I can't give you a particular recommendation, but I can't, I can give you a way to think about how to make this decision. Now, first off, there's no need to just invest in one single ETF. I mean, sure, for simplification purposes, but that's not going to be the best way to go. You probably want to spread it out between different parts of the market, maybe different asset classes, depending on your risk tolerance level. If you're very high risk, then maybe you can you know, keep it all in equities. But if you're more moderate, then you probably want to diversify into uh, maybe commodities, bonds, other types of assets. And if you're looking on the equity side, you want to be on the value side of the market. So looking at value ETFs, not just broad indices like the S&P. And on the bond side, you want to be taking some credit risk, but not too much duration risk. No long-term bonds, right? Don't be going to buy TLT, <laughs> for example. Um, so those are, those, are, those are some ways to think about it. Obviously, precious metals are doing well, so some exposure there. But you have to have a decent amount of risk tolerance level to handle that. So the long and short of it is I can give you a recommendation and there's no need to just focus on one ETF. It's very easy to get information, do a little work. It's going to take a little work. Or you can call me and we can talk about it more directly. Just head over to investtalk.com and click on the portfolio review tab and, or button, the top right, and fill out that form and then we can get on a call. And that leads me to my next point, which is basically, yeah. Any of you out there, if you need help understanding the cycle that we're in, whether that, how that fits your portfolio, and if you are on track to your own version of financial freedom, that's what this is all about, is doing what you want to do, not what you have to do. And that's really what defines financial freedom. But for everybody, that's a little bit different. Some people want to golf every day. Other people want to travel. Others want to spend time with their family and their grandkids. Maybe they want to volunteer at the church or the local school. My grandma, she volunteered at the hospital. That was her thing. So everyone's a little bit different. So if you need help, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial. Once again, where we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients and we implement the same strategies we do for ourselves. So just head over to investtalk.com, click on the free portfolio review assessment tab, which is titled portfolio review, and we can set up a call via telephone or go to meeting. Or you can call our office at 800-557-5461. The sooner you get in touch with us, the sooner we can help you get on the right track. Now let's squeeze in another caller question right here from 888 chart Hi, InvestTalk. I had a question about TriPoint Homes. The ticker is TPH. The home builder, it's a small cap stock though you guys have talked about large cap home builders on the podcast before and i just wanted to see what you think about this one 
I know the interest rates have gone up, but um, some of the locations they build homes, I believe you guys have talked in the podcast how prices have gone up in those areas as well and how typically home builders will do better than home buyers. So I just wanted to see what you guys thought of this one. Um, and then also if you could answer on whether it's a good idea to have a small cap home builder as opposed to a large cap home builder. Um, I think DHI is one that you've talked about in the past. So if you want to use that as a comparison and I'll listen on the podcast. Thanks again, guys. Bye. All right. Looking at TriPoint Homes, and this is relatively small, about $2.5 billion market cap. No dividend here. And they mainly operate in California, Arizona, Nevada, Washington, and Texas. So on the Western part of the country. And I don't necessarily care if it's large or small. Uh, I care more about its profitability, its debt levels, and TriPoint has reasonable debt levels. And they tend to be fairly profitable. Right now, its return equity is 22.5%. Its five-year average is at about 15%, so it might be over-earning a little bit. But uh, I've said this before about the home builders. A lot of people, they just they use the same playbook as 08. And know that every cycle, though, is different. Every major cycle is different. And the home builders are actually doing well right now. Why? Because people are rate locked. They're the marginal supplier of homes in many regions because people don't want to sell their homes. And so that's why they're able to. And they just buy points. And they uh, that's their the way to entice new buyers. So uh, I like TriPoint Homes. Heading to a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. We're going to head up to Manhattan Beach, just about an hour north of me, and talk to Nick. He is wanting to talk about index funds. Hi, Justin. Um, yeah, just I am thinking about picking uh, a very broad S&P 500 index fund uh, just to contribute to uh, for my like a portion of my biweekly paycheck. Um, I have a Fidelity brokerage account, um, individual and also a Roth. And I wanted to sock away around just 10 percent of my paycheck automatically, just robotically. And I was wondering, um, what is the best S&P 500 option in terms of, you know, 10-year, 5-year uh, average returns and um, uh, management fee? What do, what do you think is the best? Well, first off, I think it's great that you're trying to plan on consistently savings 10% of your, your income over time. That's job number one for anybody is that consistent savings vehicle uh, or a habit, excuse me. Um, now, th then the question is, you're, you're asking kind of questions that, that don't make sense. You're saying you want to buy it, it, into an S&P 500 fund. Well, they're all pretty much the same. You know, there's SPY, there's VOO. Uh, they're all very, very low fee uh ways to, to gain access to uh, th those funds or th that uh, that index. Uh, but my question would be, why the S&P? Why, why the S&P 500 versus uh, other ETFs? Is it just simplification purposes or that's just what you hear about all the time? I think it has the best um, 
sort sort of you know annual historic track record um, largest uh, assets under management in terms of well that, that's remember the s p 500 is just an index in the s p 500 does not have an assets under management it's the most widely followed index but that's all it is right and if you're actually talking about long-term performance it is not no way shape or form the best index right if you're looking at uh you want something that's more mid cap small cap that has the best return longer term okay so s p 500 that's all large cap stocks pretty much the 500 biggest companies in the market I now it, what i'm asking is um you know spy is market cap weighted but i know there's also um like an equal weighted s yep. index yep um, but that probably has a higher management fee. And I know that, you know, just over time, because I'm going to be contributing, you know, week, you know, biweekly, yearly, and so on, um, those management fees will stack up and they'll, they'll deduct from my, you know, uh, yes, it will, but it, it, uh, it's usually pretty minimal. And if you look at the long term performance, that's, uh, that's calculated in. So the equal weight is 20 basis points versus uh, the SPY is only three basis points. But the performance that you're going to get is, um, is going to be better. Um, and this is something this is a, what you're what you're expressing here is really a dogmatic view about fees. Uh, and, you know, th this is something that is more complex, there's a lot of variables. And Many times, paying a higher fee makes sense because you're getting access to better performing assets, better assets that are set up for this environment. You know, the S&P is market cap weighted, which means that it tends to, especially in extreme periods like we had in 2020, 2021, where it gets overweight the biggest, most expensive, overpriced names. And that's what, what's happened here at the S&P. And so if you're buying in right now, you're buying as the tide on those growthier names, those big large cap tech names is going out and the tide is you know, getting better for those smaller names that are, that are underpriced, right? Uh, industrials, energy, basic materials, which has a very low exposure in the S&P. So I think the S&P is actually one of the worst uh, indexes to be invested in over the next 10 years. And you should be shifting towards like an S&P 500 value ETF. If you wanna go S&P type of uh, index, Focus on the value side of the market. It, it, it's, it's very likely it's going to outperform over the next decade. Versus uh, and plus plus. In if you go look, go watch our webinar from uh, two weeks ago, and you'll see why long term value investing, value side of the market does better than the growth side. And the S and P five hundred is leaning on the growth side. And the last post financial crisis, it was an anomaly for that out to that out to, out to perform to outperform so heavily. So. Focus on value. That's simply my answer. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. 
Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.